morning. Welcome to the North Point of View here with Dr. Walter Kimsey's. Walter, good morning. Good morning, Mark. How you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, let's talk about um, communication. You know, and you, you and I have uh, studied it. We've talked a little bit about it. Obviously, uh, you know, there's layers to it. Um, and then in terms of communication with and without bias, and I know that both of us try to you know, communicate and, and especially what we're doing here with an absence of bias. But let's face it, we come, we start our day every day with bias, right? Yeah. Or for the most part, we do. I mean, there are certain things in our lives, our experience um, that lead us to a place where we start from every day that's different from other people, right? Yeah. And so yeah. there's a sort of a baked in bias you do a really good job of trying to filter the bias out, especially when you're communicating. I know your critical thinking sort of begins way out here and drives you to a point, but talk us through some pieces of that. Yeah, well, one of the things that uh, I get, I, I work in a lot of consulting assignments, and one of the reasons I get picked is because I have no political bias. Nobody, neither, regardless of who, which party is in control of what kind of agency or, or infrastructure or asset, they don't want a politically biased answer. Right. So don't tell us what we, you know, if you want me to tell you what you want to hear, there's some other consultants I can give you their names, but you know, <laughs> I'm not good at it. Yeah. It's uh, one of the reasons I enjoyed working for the Georgia Port Authority for years. You know, I was always told you can say what you really think. You're, you are allowed to be wrong, but you know we need to know what you really think. And every so often you had to deliver some unpleasant news and, right. and the reaction is always going to be negative to that. Right. And then it's corrected. But you know nobody takes good news well, at least I don't. And I, I know practically nobody who does. Yeah, ba yeah bad, bad news always gets a reaction, right? Exactly. And yeah. so I've always tried to be very, very neutral. Early in my career, I... Uh, uh, didn't like the president at the time, and I my views of what was was that gonna, FDR? No, it was <laughs> <laughs> FDR. Thanks a lot, Mark. <laughs> Look, I still it took you a minute where you were like, no, no, no it wasn't FDR. You're like, wait a minute, <laughs> you ambushed me there. <laughs> but uh, anyways, I didn't like him, and my view of the economy and my expectations turned out to be quite wrong. Because then it wasn't because he was Republican or Democrat. I just didn't like the guy. Yeah, and um, that's another interesting thing we got to talk about. But um, the from that point on, I swore I would not be in favor of either party. And there's stuff that each party has that I like, and each party has stuff that I don't like. Right. So yeah. it's kind of easy to be neutral when you try to be. Now it doesn't mean that you know, like you mentioned, we're all biased. Deep inside, do I have biases? Yeah, you might call me a more conservative economist than a liberal one, in the sense that I'm always trying to see if the market can do something. You know, we just talked about this in the last several weeks, but but that's one thing. But but here's a here's an interesting thing that well maybe it's not interesting, but I'll tell you anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that should be the title <laughs> to this podcast. I'm going to tell you anyway. It's interesting. Well, even if it's not, I'm going to tell you. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> so uh, I was a professor at the University of Memphis for seven years. Yeah. And uh, I've had very high ratings. Um, you know, uh, they, at the end of every semester, you hand out a student survey. The students would fill it out and they would give it to the dean's office or whatever. And I consistently hit 90 to maybe 92% high approval, straight A marks for everything. And then there was a, you know, five to 10% sample that just nasty. I mean, they gave me really low marks. And I always wonder if, you know, I looked at the distribution of grades and the distribution of grades didn't, you know. Yeah, I was gonna ask you about that. Yeah. Is it is it 92% of the class got A's and 8% got F's? And <laughs> exactly, you <laughs> bastard. <laughs> Anyways. Um, no, they weren't correlated. And, I, I, and, you know, this went on for two, three years, wow. four years. I'm like, wow, this is, uh, this is really... That uh, is actually interesting. Yeah, it is. I thought, ah. So years later, I'm at UBS, and we have a corporate finance head. And I was asked to participate in a few projects, you know, that they were, or, or uh, offers that they were getting involved in pitching for. And uh, it was an Indian guy. I don't remember his name, but uh, super sharp. I mean, just really beautiful mind. And uh, I asked him, why do you have so many of us coming? I mean, we're almost outnumber, you know, like 20 of us going in to meet with, the, with our target. And I said, there's almost more of us than there are of them in the room. And he goes, you'll notice I throw some people out. I go, why? And he goes, one in every 10 people looks at you and hates you on site. Just not hate you, but dislikes you on site. Just for no known reason. Interesting. And I thought, nah. But then I noticed that, started looking more closely, and I remembered about the, the, you know, the students grading me and how I never got a 100% mark. It was, I thought that was uh, <clears throat> you know, one of the biggest learning things that, you know, my life. Well, you know, that goes back to that Malcolm Gladwell book, Blink, where when people see something, and, and his example in the beginning, beginning of the book is a, a piece of, uh, of art, it's a statue, mm -hmm. and that there's, a, there's a, almost an instantaneous valuation that you place, your, your mind processes the information that's given. Mm -hmm. And again, it was, it was a wonderful sort of introduction to the concept, but it was that, you know, 95% of the people thought that this just in a second, that the value of this uh, statue would have been in the tens of millions of dollars because the trappings and the, all of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of this introduction, it was a fraud. It was worth a hundred dollars, but somebody had paid $15 million for it, but it was because of the way it was presented. Mm -hmm. And so that, that instantaneous evaluation of an object uh, in so many times just based on visual information it's, resonates exactly with what you're talking about. You know, that, that, that coincides with something else. <clears throat> um, my work does not look pretty, as you know. When I put a PowerPoint together or a Word document, you need to get somebody with media skills to go make it look right. I mean, I don't notice the difference from one slide to the next. Oh, you jump from font size 12 to font size 14. It's like, no, I... Yeah. Well, so you're I, looking at the data and everybody else is looking at the visual presentation. Exactly. You're looking at the information behind. 
So you get these beautiful presentations that are full of absolute baloney. <laughs> and you can tell that at least a third of the time was spent on the visual. And I've always used that third of a time to get the answer right. I mean, when you work with infrastructure, you, there's no room for error. You've got to get it right. If you build too little, you lose a lot of business and you create bottlenecks for the rest of the gateway. If you build too much, then you can't afford to, to pay your debt yeah. and you go bankrupt. And that yeah. doesn't work either. So trying to get it in that right range and, and infrastructure is a long duration asset, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, I'd rather put the time into getting it right. But the problem is, is if some guy just does some baloney on a spreadsheet in five minutes and then spends two months making it look gorgeous, he's going to be believed before me. And I, I do see that a lot in, 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 my, you know, in, the, in the consulting work that I do. It's true. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, there's a lot on social media right now. Just, I, I mean, the, obviously the visual aspects of things, what people think is attractive. And in, in my mind, we're going, we're, well, we've been in sort of an unhealthy period now of sort of what that means and how far it is skewed in my mind. But there's just no doubt that in communication, the visual aspect is a piece of it. And I'd, I'd never heard the one in 10 just yeah. look at you and evaluate and say, you know, what, whatever it is. Yeah, I don't care. It can be the person. color of the shirt, which again, on thanks, I won't wear the pink again. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you get, there's, there's a lot of the socioeconomic and, and race and, you know, gender, ethnicity, all, like all of that is, it's crazy, but it's baked in, right? Yeah. I mean, but and I think there are some people that do a lot better job of being intentional to filter out bias. And I think mm -hmm. you're one of those. And I think that's the reason that so many people, you know, call you, email you, you know, try to enlist you to give your perspective and opinion on things because you do a great job of filtering out or trying to filter out the bias. Yeah, exactly. And it's so, I was lucky uh, when I was in the PhD program <clears throat> back at Texas A&M, we had Bob Baseman, who, uh, Dr. Baseman invented two-stage least squares. You know, when you run a regression, you know, X against Y, fit a line through it. Well, sometimes you don't have the correct Y that you need. And so you have to uh, sometimes run two regressions, one, one regression, get a model and then use that model to make the second regression work. And he invented it during World War II. It was part of military strategy. That was the single biggest invention in statistics since the 1600s when they invented regression. Uh, and so we went to study under him. And uh, one of the things he, first thing he said is he goes, you're very smart, but you're not intelligent. And so he wow. made us take a whole year of symbolic logic, truth tables. I don't know if you did it as an undergrad, I didn't, but uh, we were handed the books and we had to learn how to do truth tables. And until you, we could do those, he did not want to talk to us about statistics. And then I went to the statistics department and I took the PhD sequence of courses there. And one of the things they made us do, the exercises we did, was to get medical articles, medical research, and read it and then explain why the methodology was incorrect. And because of Bob training us in symbolic logic, I nailed every one of those exercises. Yeah. 
but, but that was very good training. And that's what I try to bring to bear when we do these infrastructure planning, et cetera, is try really hard to, you know, get rid of all of these little things in your head and just work with the facts and make assumptions where you have to because you have no other choice. There are no known facts. And then use the truth tables to come to the logical conclusion. You know, it's a reminder of a great story. Uh, when I was um, in college as a junior, I was rolled into a um, um, sort of a higher level class. And the, the professor was a guy named uh, uh, Dr. Robert Hatcher. And he uh, happened to be the president of, it was a geology course, it, you know, it was advanced. Um, he was the president of the U.S. Geological Society at the time he was giving the class. So wow. he was sitting on the mountaintop. Yeah. And uh, he was a very, I mean, he was a serious guy, right? And I was, you know, a little bit intimidated to even be in the classroom. But we were on a field trip and it was, you know, master's levels and, and PhD level students as well. And uh, we were doing, we were at an outcrop uh, in the Appalachian Mountains. And um, we're looking at uh, some rock formations and he, he picks up something from the ground and, and starts handing it to the students and ask if we can identify what it was. And everybody was stumped. I mean, everybody's looking at this piece of black sort of rock material. It's like, well, is it, I mean, it, like volcanic from around here? It's like nobody could, I mean, it was just, everybody was stumped. And after about five minutes, nobody even had a reasonable explanation. He said, it's a piece of asphalt. We're 15 <laughs> feet from the road. It's a piece of asphalt that's been chipped off and rolled into the ditch. <laughs> Use some common sense, right? And it's one of those truth table things that that's what reminded me of is there's yeah. some pieces of what's going on that you should be able to just sort of change your perspective and open your lens up yeah. to take in more information that you become you can become too narrow in your assessment, which is that bias, right? Exactly. So that to step back and, hey, if you're 15, 20 feet from the road, it might just be a piece of asphalt. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, on a, on a slightly more serious note, one of the things that I run into with the media is incredible bias. Yeah, well. well you know, they, just to start true. with the basic things are just bad communication. Yeah. The growth rate of something dropped, and the way the headline reads is, the level dropped. And that miscommunication from the media can really confuse a lot of people. And I don't know why editors of, of all kinds of media, Wall Street Journal, Journal of Commerce, all of them, aren't a little more rigorous in some of those things. Because the, you know, I, I used to be an industry strategist at UBS and there were 72 industries and to categorize into 10 sectors. And I had signed up for research and articles for all of them. I had to know the, the, what drove the margin in every single industry. And I formed views on everything. And then I would get newsletters and other commentary, et cetera, that would come into my mailbox and I would sort it into 
each of these 10 folders. And I still have that today. It's been 20 years since I was at UBS, but I still have that way of looking at the economy. And, and I, what I do is, to, in order to read all of that stuff, you don't really read it. You read through the headlines and just try to see if something is happening that you didn't anticipate, that just doesn't make sense. It's right. like, wow, you know? And so um, I, I get upset when the headlines are, mis, you know, are not written correctly because I stop and I start reading an article and what I really need to do is I want to get through 100 newsletters a day and I can do that in less than an hour, maybe even in half an hour, as long as I don't get stuck reading too many of the articles. And you're right. I mean, there's so often you, you take a look at something and it's like, you know, markets collapse. Uh -huh. And then you get to the third paragraph and it's like, you know, the Dow was down, you know, a tenth of a percent. And it's like, wait a minute, that's not a collapse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's barely a speed bump. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's, that's precisely the, the you know, the, the issue. So, uh, and it's irresponsible. It really is. Yeah. For the but, media to. But then again, I made a living from that, and I probably still do because confusion is what drives demand for consulting. Confusion <laughs> and chaos in the markets is what makes us money. Oh, my favorite thing. Just going back, there was this thing in the Wall Street Journal about how oil and stock prices were correlated. Yeah. This was back in 2006, 2007. I was still in the, as a stockbroker analyst kind of guy. And they had this chart on it, and it showed over the previous, you know, five years how oil and, and, and stock prices went up and down together. And so I had a client who came back and said, you know, could we use your oil forecast, which mine tended to be relatively accurate, to try to backtrack in the market? And I go, well, you would never do that. And he goes, why? Because they're not correlated. He goes, yeah, look at this Wall Street Journal article. So I went and I got data that went back 20 years, and guess what the correlation is? Zero. There yeah. is no correlation. Yeah. You know, and, and once I sent him the data and I just said, look, some amateur pulled a little bit of data and wrote a baloney story. It's it's and client just thanked me and, and you know, it was nice. We got some commissions, but uh, it was a good way. I mean, that one really stuck in my head. I mean I just couldn't believe somebody would do that. It was one of the worst articles that, that you know, for the investment community. So moving forward, um we're going to try to bring you guys unbiased communication, yeah. although we walk into the room every day with a little bit. Uh, I don't know. Uh, fireside chat with Walter. It's yeah. been great, man. It's been great. Enjoyed it. See ya. You guys have fun. Mm -hmm.